Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Taking Care of Your Temple podcast. I am Dr. Melissa Rich. I'm so glad that you are joining me today. And I want to tell you a little bit about what this podcast is and what I do with it, try to do with it, before I get into today's topic. So the objective of this podcast is to help women connect with God regularly and to use His grace, power, strength, might to improve their physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, did I say mental? Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being. Sorry, there's four. Um, And we do this by following four principles. The first one is to keep our focus on God. This is an ongoing task, y'all. I mean, there are so many things to pull our attention away from God. We just have to keep pulling it back, pulling it back. It's It's a process that just goes on. If you feel like you struggle with this, you are not alone because the rest of us do as well. Next is to acknowledge that we are not enough on our own. We are not strong enough, smart enough, savvy enough, whatever it is, enough to handle life on our own. We need God's help. The good news, the amazing news, is that he is so willing to give that to us when we ask him for it. So ask. Don't be afraid. Just ask. He will help. Then remembering it is about progress, not about perfection, which is a good thing because most of us are not perfect. Well, maybe me. Just kidding. No, um, we are not perfect. So there was only one perfect person and we are not it. So just remind ourselves that we are going to make mistakes. We're going to do things imperfectly, do them anyway, ask God's help, keep moving forward. He does not expect us to be perfect, y'all, thankfully. And then the fourth fourth step, fourth principle is to work on consciously changing our thoughts. And y'all, this is so important. I, I had lunch with a new friend yesterday, uh, Ginger, who, wait, 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 I put my card right here. I'm going to mention her because I'm hoping she'll be a guest on my podcast pretty soon. Ginger Stanfield, and she's a health and wellness coach. And we were talking about the fact that both of us really work on trying to get clients to change their thoughts because it's so important. Our thoughts affect how we think, how we feel, what we do, where we go, what we perceive, everything. So that is really, really important. If you're having a lot of negative, toxic thoughts, you need to work on changing them because it will make a huge difference for you. The verse for this podcast is 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? We should all know that. We should all be aware of that. So before we go any further... Let me offer a quick prayer and ask God for his guidance. Lord, thank you so much for letting me be here. Thank you for the ladies who are listening to this. And I'm asking, Lord, that these topics, the the things that I say will really be on topic and that they will be helpful, that they will really give some guidance, some strength, some hope to people who are out there struggling as we all are. Thank you so much for loving us, Lord. Amen. Okay, so y'all. This is the last episode of 2023. I'm recording this several weeks ahead of time. I I do five or six weeks ahead, but this is going to be aired in the last week of 2023. So what I thought I would focus on is things that we should let go of and things that we should be reaching toward. So that just seems appropriate at the end of the year. So I'm just going to jump right in because there are a lot of things that we should be aware of that if we are holding on to these, y'all, we need to let them go. The first one, kind of a trifecta, anger, bitterness, and resentment. 
Now, I do think these tend to be more typical of men more than women. Men tend to uh, gravitate more toward anger. Women tend to gravitate more toward fear. They can cross back and forth. But if you are holding on to anger, bitterness, or resentment, it is not serving you well. Um, A lot of times that comes from holding a grudge. How many have ever done that? Yeah, I think we all have at one time or another. Holding a grudge is when you are hanging on to anger, bitterness, and resentment, or any other negative feelings long after the person has done something to hurt you. I mean, they did this like in grade school. Unfortunately, I am not kidding. And you're still mad about it. You're still hanging on to that anger and that that sense of hurt and and everything that they did to you. It's time to let it go. Seriously. Um, usually it's in response to something that has already occurred. And uh, sometimes we get this way just because we feel like somebody may not like us or they're talking about us or they're acting against us. Whether they're actually doing it or not, that's how we perceive it. And so we tend to get angry and hold on to that. So grudges also often feature ongoing and persistent rumination. Rumination is when your thoughts just keep twirling around the same thing like that. The hamster in the wheel just keeps circling around. I can't believe they did that. That was so mean. How could they? And you just keep, you know, I I have a tendency not to do that very much because honestly, I get tired of myself when I do that for very long. After a few minutes, I'm like, okay, enough. I don't like just covering the same ground. That's kind of a natural tendency that I have. I have other areas that I struggle with. This is one that is not so much, but there are people who do. So if this is you, be aware. Whatever your intentions are or the cause of your bitterness is, holding on to a grudge, now that's going to hurt you a lot more than the person who did whatever it was or you think might have tried to do whatever it is. It's going to hurt you more. Clinging to anger, to bitterness, to resentment is going to impact us emotionally, physically, spiritually. So it really is important to learn to let go of these things in a really healthy way. Holding a grudge can literally harm our emotional and physical and spiritual health. It can. Um, Holding on to anger, this is a saying that I love, is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Yeah, that is exactly what it's like. So anger, resentment, and bitterness, not just a quick dose of them, but I mean this ongoing thing, they can make you more pessimistic. They really can function as a physical barrier for some people. They can also isolate you from other people. Um, Holding a grudge, really, a lot of times people don't want to be around others because they kind of want to nurse that grudge. They want to ruminate over how you know, this other person did them wrong and how horrible they are. They don't want to be around other people. So you really can end up being isolated. It can, this is a good one, increase your risk of cognitive decline. People who hold on to higher levels of hostility, characterized by cynicism and mistrust of others, they experience more cognitive decline over a 10-year period than people who routinely are able to forgive things and let go. I mean, this is research backing this up, y'all. I'm not making this up. So there's a good reason to learn to let go of things. People who are angry and bitter, they, they don't do well in the long run. It can negatively affect our mental health. 
Holding a grudge can increase our chances of experiencing depression, anxiety, or other mental health conditions. Seriously, I don't know anyone who says, I want to develop anxiety. I, I'm going to sit here and be really angry so that I can become uh, anxious or depressed. Nobody does that, I hope. It can add to our overall stress, and then it can contribute to things like high blood pressure, heart problems, lowered immunity, lowered immunity, sorry, and inflammation. And inflammation, they are finding, I've talked about this before, so important. If you are suffering from inflammation, you're going to have pain. Show me somebody who wants to experience pain. I mean, no, nobody does. So it really can contribute to that. So let go of it. I love this verse, verses, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So basically, and I told clients this a lot over the years, anger itself is not a sin. It's just a feeling. It's not good or bad. It's a feeling. It's what we do with it that can be right or wrong or can get us into trouble. So these verses don't say, don't get angry. Did you notice that? It says, be angry and do not sin. It doesn't say, don't be angry. Or it says, if you ever get angry, what they're saying is, when you're angry, because we all are going to be, it's not that you should never feel anger. It's that you need to handle it appropriately. So I love that verse. Be angry. I want to read it again. And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So we're going to be angry, y'all. It's a fact of life. Deal with it appropriately. Then let it go. Move on. Okay. The next thing to let go of is learn to surrender control. A lot of times, God has other plans than we do, and we need to learn to surrender control to Him. And when we do that, when we trust Him, and let him be in charge, it can really alleviate stress and anxiety. However, sometimes it's hard to let go. Y'all, I like to be in control. It feels good when I am making the decisions and calling the shots and in the driver's seat. I like that. And sometimes God lets me do that. Especially if I pray first and ask for his guidance, you know, and I'm, I'm proceeding in the direction he wants me to go. However, what I've learned through the years, God does a much better job of being in control than I do. I don't kind of like to admit that, but it's true. He does. So I have learned that things go better when he's in the driver's seat and I'm the passenger. I mean, if he gives me tasks to do and I'm doing them, that's great. But I've learned I, I don't do a good job of deciding everything for myself. Even though I think I know what I want, and I really want it badly, I've done the thing where I've gotten whatever it was I was wanting, and then I had it, and I'm like, oh, hmm, yeah, this isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. God knows better than I do, and I'm pretty confident in saying he knows better than you as well. So you can learn to give control over him. So how do you know if you have control issues? A lot of people who have control issues are not aware of it because it's so automatic for them. Here's some signs. If you refuse to delegate, um, I had a, a BSU letter, Baptist Student Union leader, I think it's called, Baptist Student Ministries now, back when I was in college, John Burns, and he said the mark of a great leader knows how to do three things, delegate, 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 and it's true. If you are not good at delegating, you probably have control issues. You want to do it all yourself. 
if you feel the need to always prove yourself worthy or valuable and you seldom feel that way. If you're a perfectionist, I've talked about this. In fact, I think I did a podcast episode on perfectionism. Y'all, if you're a perfectionist, you probably are big into control. If you get moody or upset when you are not the one making the decisions and calling the shots, because you want to do it yourself. If your expectations are not met, if you micromanage people in your life, even when they're not working for you, people usually don't appreciate that. Go figure. Um, if you are quick to judge other people's actions, if you are unhappy when things don't go exactly according to your plan, if you constantly criticize other people, or if you have a hard time following other people's directions. So how to get past this? If you're doing those things. We need to confess our tendencies to God. He knows them already. So it's not like he's going to be real surprised by it. We need to ask for his help in doing this. We need to pray for flexibility and the willingness to go where God is leading us. And then once we do those things, lather, rinse, repeat. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break because it sounds like someone is trying to open my door. One second. Sorry, not sure what that was. I just kept hearing this weird noise and thought someone was trying to open my door, which is locked. Just wanted to make, make sure. Okay. Third thing that we need to work on letting go of is if you are bad at comparing yourself to other people. That's never good. Um, there is a poem called Desiderada. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I memorized this in high school. But one of the uh, couple of the lines, it says, if you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter. For there will always be greater and lesser persons than yourself. So true. If you compare yourself to others, you are going to fall short. And then you're going to be way ahead of the game. Because there are always going to be people who are doing better than you are. And there are people who are doing worse than you are. That, that's just how life is. So too much comparison can lead to unhappiness and low self-esteem. We can become frustrated with ourselves because we, we're not doing good enough. Or we can become angry with other people. We can develop feelings of jealousy, of frustration, or hopelessness if we keep comparing ourselves. Because we are never going to completely measure up to other people. However, in other areas, other people will never completely measure up to us. So, y'all, ditch the comparisons. They are not healthy. They are not helpful. Let go of them. What we should remember... Oh, and also, if left... Uh, unaddressed, we can develop chronic anxiety and depression from continuing to compare ourselves to others. Because like I said, we're always going to fall short in some ways. So we need to remember God has an amazing special plan for you. And you are not going to find out what it is if you are always looking to see what other people are doing. And are they doing it better than you? Or am I doing better? We need to let that go. We should focus on counting our own blessings and not the blessings that other people have. Those are their blessings. We have our own. We also all need to stop giving Satan opportunities to discourage us and to turn us away from the purposes that God has for us. We need to remember that God is all we need. We need to set our hearts and minds on him and ask him to, again, help us to move forward in the way 
that he wants us to. The other thing that happens with the whole comparison thing, you develop the it's not fair syndrome. Remember that? My sons had a lot of that when they were growing up. And my response was, life is not fair. So they got older and they would start to say, well, that's not fair. And I would open my mouth. I hadn't even said anything yet. They would say, we know, mom, life is not fair. I'm like, oh, you're right. That's true. It isn't. And it never will be. So if all we do is compare ourselves unfavorably to other people, you are not going to have a good life. Who wants to do that? Let go of comparisons. Okay. Another one, letting go of perfectionism. Just talked about this one. Ha. Huh. Trying to be perfect, first of all, is futile. Because if we achieve perfection, you know, it's about lasts for two minutes and then it's gone. So it's very fleeting and it puts an enormous amount of pressure on our mental and emotional well-being. So I had, uh, I may have mentioned this before, uh, back when I first started getting some uh, group coaching, this was probably eight or nine years ago, maybe longer. Um, I went to this uh, woman called Christine Kane in North or South Carolina. I don't remember now. Um, it was a beautiful city and I can't remember which one it was. Raleigh, maybe. No, it wasn't Raleigh. I don't remember. Anyway, her big thing that she always said was give yourself permission to do it imperfectly. And that is so true. And I will say perfectionism is not something I struggle with at all. I've never been a perfectionist. Thank you, Lord. I have other issues, but that's not one of them. But people who want things to be perfect, y'all, that is such a high bar. And it you're just not going to reach it very much. It's it's not good. Having high standards and high expectations, that's fine. That's great. It can give us drive, motivation, determination, and focus. But perfection is really not so much about having high standards. It's about trying to manage the fears that we have of losing, of failing, or disappointing ourselves or other people. It's kind of a way of trying to protect ourselves. So what are the effects of perfectionism? I'm so glad you asked because I am going to go into that right now. Perfectionists tend to judge themselves constantly, and then they experience what is called anticipatory anxiety. They're, they're getting anxious about something that hasn't happened yet because they know it's coming. That's no fun. We have enough anxiety when we're in a situation. We don't need to add more before we're even there, but they do that. They uh, are afraid of falling short or are just not reaching those self-imposed standards that they have. And having that type of pressure on yourself can result in things like indecisiveness. A lot of perfectionists are horrible at making a decision because they don't want to make the wrong one. So they do nothing. They are stuck. I can always make a decision for myself and for everybody else. I'm really good at it. But this is something perfectionists struggle with. They can become irritable. They have lack of focus. They have social anxiety and panic. They, again, are afraid to try new things because they may not do it perfectly. So they miss so much in life because they want everything to be perfect. Sometimes they can try to inflict that on their children, which is also not good. That's a good way to make your children rebel. The possibility of making a mistake or just a wrong move or choice, it can seem absolutely catastrophic. And so it leads to this procrastination. They put it off and put it off because, again, they don't want to make the wrong decision. And um, they 
So procrastination or just avoiding, they just don't want to have to make a choice because if they do that, they um, are less likely to end up disappointing themselves. But of course, then you don't do anything. I, I don't get this one, but a lot of people do it. Um, so this type of perfectionism, when you're dealing with all these issues, can really affect relationships, personal and professional. It can strain them. And perfectionist have been fa- perfectionism has been found to correlate strongly with anger issues, shyness, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, and substance abuse. I think it's interesting. The whole perfectionism thing uh, goes very strongly with, uh, what's it, eating disorder. Not where they throw up. Bulimia. It's not bulimia. Anorexia nervosa. Anorexia nervosa. I knew I would get it. A lot of those, and it's mostly women who do this, a lot of them are perfectionists. And they develop an eating disorder because that is one of the few things they can control. They can't control it. They're big into control. They can't control things around them. By golly, they can control the food they put into their mouth. And so a lot of times that's when anorexia nervosa develops. Okay. Another thing that we can work on releasing this year that we don't want to carry into next year is self-doubt. A lot of times we doubt ourselves a lot on what we're capable of, on what God is calling us to do, on where we're going, how well we're doing things. Um, I am in the midst of writing a book right now about insomnia. I feel like this is something God has called me to do. I have had this happen so far on every chapter that I've started. I get in, I'm looking at the research, I'm I'm looking at the outline, figuring out what I want to do, and I become totally overwhelmed. And I, I literally have to stop what I'm doing, walk around, take some deep breaths, because I'm just like, I can't do this. And I'll be talking to God going, Lord, I, I can't, this is too much. There's, I mean, there's so much. I don't even know where to start. What am I doing? This is a version of imposter syndrome, which comes from doubting ourselves, where we feel like, I'm not good enough to do this. Somebody is going to figure out that I'm just faking it. So you're an imposter. You feel like you're an imposter when you're trying to do things. I don't struggle with it too much. But obviously, when I'm trying to write a book, I do. So I have had literally, like I said, every chapter, I'm in the middle of the third, no, about three-fourths of the way through the third chapter now. The introduction, first, second, third chapter, I've hit a wall every time where I have to stop. I have to pray. I have to ask God to help calm myself down. Like I said, walk around, take some deep breaths, tell myself some positive uh, uh, thoughts, what I call them. Um, I can't think what I call them now. Thought optimizers. Sorry. It's hard to think of this when you're right in the middle of doing something. Sorry. Thought optimizers. And and I I get those positive things into me. I calm myself down. I sit down. And I'm able to write again. And I'm able to do it. But it's so far happened every chapter. Probably will happen the others as well. But when God has a plan for us and we are moving in his direction, we are not going to do it perfectly. Things are going to go wrong. We are going to make mistakes. We're going to have to stop, start over, do it again, rewind, back up. And so if you are doubting yourself because you're not doing things perfectly, yeah, let go of that. It's a process. It is a start and stop. I used to tell clients um, when I was counseling, 
this is not original to me, but I don't remember where I got it from or I would give credit. We tend to think or we tend to want progress to be the straight line up, straight up. It doesn't work that way. It's more like a lightning bolt. We go up a little bit, we go down. We go up a little bit more, we go down. As long as we keep moving upward, y'all, that's okay. So again, let go of the self-doubt. It is not a good thing. Then we need to also release fears about the future. We need to trust in God's plan. And we need to release fears and anxiety from the past year through prayer, meditation, are just surrendering to whatever plan he has for us. And y'all, I'm here to tell you, faith can be scary. We don't know what's coming. We don't have control over it. That's why it's faith. We have to trust in God and literally take a blind leap forward and trust him to catch us. That's what we have to do. It's the only way to move forward if you're a Christian. Most of us know that God has a plan for us. However, a lot of times we are so caught up in our plan for us that we don't make room for what God is trying to do. So we need to keep telling ourselves God is good. I can trust him. Even if you don't completely keep telling yourself that you do, because then that will become your reality. Wrong way. Okay. Something else that we can learn to release for this year that we do not want to take into next year is releasing negative thought patterns. Y'all, I work on this with every client who comes in to see me here at Waco Hypnosis Center. Uh, I call it cognitive restructuring. I literally help them reprogram their brain because these patterns of negative emotions and negative thoughts, they are not good for us. Negative attitudes and feelings of helplessness and hopelessness can create chronic stress, which upsets our body's hormone balance. It depletes our brain chemicals that are required for happiness, and it damages our immune system. So if we have these negative thought patterns, we are literally allowing our thoughts to negatively affect our bodies and how they function. And this is a great example of the mind-body connection. I mean, it's y'all have probably heard that term. That's exactly what happens. We have these negative thoughts going on and they affect everything. So the next thing we need to release is kind of uh, related to that. It's releasing negative self-talk. Self-talk are the messages that we give ourselves. Okay. And they can be good. I tend to give myself a lot of positive self-talk because I think I'm an amazing person. Not all the time, but you know, overall. So positive self-talk would be things like, man, I really did pretty well at that. Better than I thought I would. That's great. Um, I did a really good job with the presentation. They really liked it. Whatever. Those are positive self-talk. Negative self-talk. I That was just a, such a stupid thing to say. I can't believe I said that. I totally embarrassed myself. They are never going to ask me to come back and speak again. Whatever. Those are negative self-talks. And, and we all do both all the time. But if your pattern is predominantly negative messages, you need to get rid of it. The voice inside our head, there is one. It's always present. And it is one of the most powerful influences on how we perceive ourselves and, and what we do. We need to remember that Satan does not want us to be happy and fulfilled and going out doing things that God wants us to do. If we're believers... 
he's lost the war with us, but boy, he is going to try to win some of those battles. So if you're giving yourself a lot of negative messages, try to figure out where they're coming from and get rid of them. Let them go or dispute them. That, that's what I was the word I was looking for. So here's an example. If I go to that party, I will be miserable because nobody is going to talk to me. It'll be horrible. That's your thought. Now, here's the dispute. That's not true. You know, I'm a good listener. I care about people. Two weeks ago, <clears throat> I went out to lunch with that large group from church, and I talked to several people I'd never met before. A couple of them told me later that they had really enjoyed our conversation. That's the dispute. This comes from uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. It's a huge tool that they use, and it is so good. Because a lot of times when we have these negative thoughts, we just accept that that's it. It's true. No, no. Just because we think it does not make it true. So learn to dispute those negative thoughts. Don't just accept them because they're in your head. Your self-talk can affect your mental health and your relationships with others. If you think negatively about yourself, if you're giving yourself negative messages, you're going to feel bad most of the time. That's fun. This can drag you down. And once you're down, it can be hard to get yourself back up. Negative self-talk is often experienced by people who are depressed or anxious. I mean, it makes sense when you think about it. Okay, next thing to let go of, guilt and shame. So shame is a feeling of embarrassment or humiliation that comes from the belief that we have done something wrong. Shame is not a bad thing. It's kind of like God's way of getting our attention. We should feel shame when we've done something wrong. What I'm talking about that's not good is this ongoing shame or undeserved shame. We all have things in our past that we're, that we're ashamed of, that we're embarrassed by, that we wish had not happened to us. However, if we have confessed them to God and received his forgiveness, we need to let them go. We don't need to keep fighting that battle, ladies. It's it's done. It is one. He's, he's forgiven us. So that's what I'm talking about. If you have that chronic shame, you can end up feeling that there is something really wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you. You are God's precious daughter or son, if I have any men listening to this. And there's nothing wrong with you. But we can tell ourselves that and we can feel that way. So again, we need to learn to dispute this. Um, if we have a lot of shame, we can end up having this inner voice that's telling us that we're a bad person, we're worthless, we have no value. And again, this is where God comes in. With Christ's help, we can overcome shame and guilt. And guilt is the same thing. If it's inappropriate, that's what I'm talking about. Not guilt when we lied to somebody. We should feel guilty. That was not a good thing to do. So Christ paid the price for our sins, even the worst ones. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First on one night. I mean, there's no disputing that. It says it right there. We need to hang on to that verse if we are feeling a lot of shame and guilt that is inappropriate. So that way we can embrace forgiveness and our new identity and worth in Christ that he wants us to have, that he paid the price on the cross for us. 
Okay. Another thing, this is the the last thing that, I mean, there's a lot more, but these are the ones that I focused on that we should release this year is unhealthy relationships. We've all been in them. You may not be in one currently. I don't think I am right now. Yay. And if you're not good for you, but they'll come up again. Um, Toxic relationships. These are people who are very negative, who attack us, who try to bring us down, who are very critical. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we've had bosses like that, maybe have friends, family, neighbors. Um, the only one this that this is tricky is really, well, there are some, I guess. If it's a boss and you really can't quit your job, I mean, you know, you like to eat and pay your bills, or if it's a family member, it's really difficult to just cut a family member off. You can decrease contact with them, um, but sometimes it is hard. These toxic relationships can really affect our mental health. They can lead us to feel bad about ourselves, have low energy levels, and decrease our overall unhappiness. Constant exposure to that type of toxicity can generate feelings of insecurity because we start questioning ourselves all the time and wondering, you know, what we're doing wrong. Okay, so those are things that we can learn to let go of for this year. Now let's talk about things that we can start moving toward. Okay, first one, healing from past trauma or traumas. God can heal us from the worst moments in our life, and we all have some bad things that have happened to us, some worse than others. But the problem is the healing is not going to happen instantaneously. It is going to be a process. Yes, God could snap his fingers, boom, you're better. He doesn't do it that way. There's reasons for it. We learn things when we work through the process. A lot of times we get impatient and don't want to do it, but if God is telling us to do it, we need to do it. We're going to have setbacks, but we need to keep pushing forward. So the the thing I remember about this one, uh, I had a client years ago whose dad committed suicide. And she found his body. She was like 15 or 16 years old. She was able to work through it. When I had seen her, she had done pretty well. But there would be times in her life when things would come up that would bring it back in a whole new way. And she would have to work through the process again and release it and ask God for, God for his help. That's very typical. So you may work through something at one level, but then you get engaged and you have to work through it again. You get married, you have to do it again. You get a certain job, you have to. I mean, at stages in our lives, we're going to have to work through this trauma. Again, that is just how it is. So keep doing it. And let's let go of that trauma. Let's heal. Something else that we can move toward is to embrace change and growth. You know, I tend to like change most of the time. I do. I enjoy it. Um, in fact, I will look for it. Now, let's let's go do something different. I'm going to try a different restaurant or whatever. I'm, yeah, I'm that person. What can I say? Um, however, even for me who enjoys change, if I get too much all at once, especially if they are changes that I didn't want, that I didn't choose, it can get overwhelming. And that's when I have to trust that God knows what he's doing. And during those moments of having to depend on God and having to trust him, he is strengthening my faith muscles. And there's no other way to do it. That's what he's doing. He's strengthening my faith muscles. He will do that to you as well. So embrace change or growth. And what I want to tell you too, 
you can try different new things. They're not all going to be good. You're not going to like all of them. Okay, that one didn't work out. Cross that off my list and move on. And I've done that before. I've Something that I've always wanted to try. I can't think of anything right now, but I go and try it. Sometimes it's great. Other times it's like, hmm, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do this one again. Okay, it was a learning process. Just because it didn't do what you thought it would do doesn't mean that it was a bad thing. You still learn from it. Something else that we can move toward in 2024 is cultivating gratitude. Y'all, we all are so blessed. We have so much to be thankful for. And when we are experiencing gratitude, it can boost our neurotransmitter, the serotonin, and it activates the brain stem and helps produce dopamine. This is good because dopamine is our body's pleasure chemical. We like dopamine. So the more we think positive, grateful thoughts, the healthier and happier we really are going to feel. I mean, there's a there's a chemical reason for that. So positive thinking, if we train ourselves to do it, can become a way of life. When our brain is full of positive thoughts, we kind of end up improving in every area in every area of our lives. It it kind of seeps over. We may be really doing well in um, exercising. And because we're exercising, we sleep better. We feel better about ourselves. We're more disciplined. It just, it it kind of goes everywhere. So it's it's a good thing to do. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So give thanks in all circumstances. This talks about expressing gratitude. So if you really feel like you are not doing that great with gratitude, here's a few easy things that you can do. One is look for and become aware of the positive around you. If you're one of those who you see the negative, that's what leaps out to your eye. Train yourself to look for the positive. I promise you can do it. So become aware. Keep a gratitude journal. Write down three to five things every day that you're thankful for. And be specific. Don't just say, because I'm a great person, even if you are. Um, I, I'm grateful uh, for the education that I received or the job that I have or the friends that God has given me, whatever. Write some things down. And then make it a practice. I love this one, to thank people around you. Express gratitude to other people. Thank the waiter who's bringing you your food. Thank um, the receptionist who helps you in that office. Thank your friends. Thank your family. It's a good habit to get into. And then you're also spreading positivity to other people around you. Makes a difference. Okay. Another thing that we can move toward is clearing out mental clutter through prayer and meditation. What they're finding is that prayer literally changes us. The field is called neurotheology. It's new and it's getting a lot of interest. And what they're finding, scientists have found that the brains of people who spend a lot of time in prayer and meditation are different than people who don't. The more we focus on something, food, a movie, a problem at work, or God, the more that becomes our reality. Whatever we're focusing on becomes our reality. 
and the more it becomes written into the neural connections of your brain. So if we focus on prayer, we are changing our brain in that way. It's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period changes our brain to the extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. It is visible. I love this. So this type of prayer increases activity in brain areas associated with social interaction, compassion, and sensitivity to others. So when we focus on prayer, on connecting with God, not only do we feel better and he helps us, but we literally are changing our brain so that we can continue to feel better. So I love that one. Okay, another thing that we can move toward is forgiving ourselves and other people. This can be a hard one, especially if somebody has really hurt you and especially if they're not sorry, or at least they've never told you sorry. Because I have known of people who went, who were hideously wronged by someone and they're trying to uh, work through that and make it better and they go to the person and start talking about it and the person, instead of taking responsibility for what they did and apologizing, they start blaming the person who they, you know, were abusing. And so then they feel worse. So we need to learn, though, to forgive other people. God does not tell us to forgive others for their sake. Y'all, it's for us. It is for our well-being. That's why we need to let go. That's why we need to forgive. And I, I've often told clients this, the person who is keeping you awake at night because you are so angry over what they did for you and you are so consumed with how wrong that was, they are probably not losing any sleep. You are. So we need to forgive for ourselves so we can get rid of that hatred and that, that weight that we've been carrying around. The act of forgiveness, whether it's to ourselves or other people, can just create huge rewards for our health. It lowers the risk of a heart attack, improves cholesterol levels. We sleep better, reduces pain, uh, reduces anxiety, depression, and stress. And research shows that it continues to affect us in a positive way as we age. If we keep forgiving things, letting go of things, we continue to feel better. So we need to acknowledge our emotions about whatever was done to us. And maybe it was done by ourselves. Choose to forgive the person who offended you or choose to forgive yourself, realizing that you're imperfect and God loves you anyway. So forgive yourself. Release the control and power that the offending person and situation have had on your life, because they have. One of the things that I have learned to do is ask God to redirect my thoughts when they keep going back to that old pattern. I have literally told God, I am tired of thinking about this. Would you please redirect my thoughts? I, I'm done. I don't want to think. I don't want to go there anymore. Sometimes I've had to ask him to do that like 50 times in an hour. Not kidding. It, and I think it's spiritual warfare. Satan is pounding me. He is just, well, just remember what they did. That was so horrible. How could they do that? You don't just, they don't deserve to be forgiven. And I, I literally have to say, no, I am done with that. And keep asking God for his help. Please redirect my thoughts. Help me to think about something else. Help me to let this go. I promise you, eventually the attack will ease off. 
and you'll be able to take a deep breath. I promise it will, but you have to hang in there. Keep asking God for his help. Then we need to, I'm looking to see how many more I have. Two, oh, this is one. Okay. Let go of clutter and move toward simplifying our lives. We need to, to move toward a, a less clutter, a less having all this stuff in our lives, in our house, in our office, in our cars. We need to get rid of some of the clutter. We want to go toward a more clutter-free, minimalistic lifestyle. You don't have to be totally minimalistic, but but just clearing some things out. We need to move toward that. Clutter, I, I've said for years, clutter oppresses the spirit. I truly believe that. And clutter can affect our anxiety levels, our sleep, and our ability to focus. It can make us less productive. I believe it. It can trigger coping and avoidance strategies that are unhealthy, like sitting in front of the TV, eating junk food, and binge-watching some show. That's not helpful. I'm not saying you should never do that in small doses, but if that's what you're doing, if that's how you're coping, that is not good. Clutter has a negative impact on our mental well-being, and it can just steal your peace of mind. So getting rid of clutter can be a lot of work, and you're not going to do it all at once. And I, I tell people, start simple. Do a drawer declutter a drawer, dump everything out, sort through. You should always have keep, give away, or toss pile. Some things are broken. Nobody wants them. Other things, they're perfectly good, but you don't want them. Give them away, and then you have the things that you keep, okay? Then you put the stuff back in the drawer, stuff that you're going to keep, all nicely organized, and I promise you, you will walk by. Every time you walk by, you're going to open that drawer and look in. It feels so good, because look what you did. Then next time, do another drawer. Then do a shelf and do a small closet, you know, keep working up to it. It gets easier. You feel better. You are accomplishing something. Um, your mood will improve. You feel like you have breathing room again. It'll be easier to let go of things as you keep doing them. And you'll be able to turn your focus into accomplishing goals that you want. So I tell this story, I think before here, when my late husband, Ed, passed away, he was a good guy, but he, I, I told my sons, he he was a borderline hoarder. And if it were not, I said, if it were not for me, he would have been full on into hoarding. And he was one of those that he had piles all through the house, everywhere. And he would have had a pile there for a couple of years and I would get rid of it and he would notice it and want to know where things were. So all I could do really was kind of, I would consolidate the piles so there weren't as many. Of course, then he just started a new one. And I would kind of tidy them up. That was like the most that I could do. And Ed's motto that I threatened to put on his tombstone, I didn't, was we might need that someday. So when he passed away, going through, I was like, I finally get rid of things in the house. I ended up with 60, six zero boxes, y'all, of stuff. I didn't want it. I didn't think anybody else would want it either. Some of it I did throw away. Some of it I just gave away. The epitome of his semi-hoarding was he was a dentist. And y'all have probably seen when you go to a doctor's office or dentist office, they have these paper towel holders that you, you pull a paper towel down. It's called, a, I think, a C-fold paper towel. He had boxes 
of these sea-filled paper towels. They're they're long and skinny, and they had this uh, white paper wrapped around them, you know, to keep them together. Well, the boxes weren't covered, and they had obviously been sitting out in the shed for a couple of years. And so these paper towels on the ends were all gross and grody and disgusting. Nobody is ever going to use those paper towels. I threw them away, and I felt really good about it. So letting go of some of the clutter and moving into this calm and organized space, that is a great goal for 2024. I hope you'll be able to do it. Okay, now, fun fact about Waco. I'm reading this from the Waco City of Waco website. "'Twas a night before Christmas and all through the park. Not a creature was stirring as the evening grew dark. With the animals tucked away safely for a long winter's night, the zoo suddenly brightened with thousands of tiny lights. There were carolers singing and tasty treats too. Now there's just one thing missing. We're all expecting you. So the Waco Zoo, Cameron Park, for the last several years has done what they call wild lights. And they you have all the animals and it's the starts uh, when, uh, November 24th and it goes Wednesday through Sunday uh, every week up until December 31st. They also have Santa there, so the kids can visit Santa from 6 p.m. to closing through December 23rd. And this is something, like I said, they've done for the past several years. It's so fun, y'all, because they have all the animals that you can see, and there's all the lights, and there's people singing, and there's cool food. So it's a good thing to do. If y'all are in the Waco area, come go. Okay. So along with this podcast and Waco Hypnosis Center, I'm available for public speaking. If you would like to have me for an event, you can contact me through my website, or if you just have a question or comment at uh, www.drmelissarich.com, or you can email me at info at drmelissarich.com. So if you uh, have enjoyed this podcast, I would love for you to give me a review to share it. If you give me a good review and put your name on it, I will share that on the podcast. I will mention you. So that would be fun. All right. I appreciate everybody listening. Thank you so much for joining. And even though it's not the end of the year while I'm recording this, it's there while you're listening to this. So everybody have a great 2023. And I will hopefully have you back in 2024. Bye, y'all.